Welcome back to the Dylan and Dylan Show presented by Television Sports. Welcome back. It is Friday, March 10th. Uh, we are in the thick of March now. As uh, you're listening to this, we're getting ready to get started with the Conference Basketball Championships. Uh, the tournament's starting this weekend. DJ Dylan Jesperson here is joined, as always, by my main man, DH Dylan Holton, Kentucky. How are you doing, man? I'm doing fantastic. Um, I got some great news before the show started. The Titans are breaking out the Oilers jerseys next uh, season, which was something I didn't know. I don't know if that was well-known. I had no idea about it, so I, I'm very, very giddy about that. Conference tournaments, like you said, are we're right in the thick of it, and it's so much fun. Last night, we're recording on, thir- on uh, Wednesday, excuse me, Gonzaga made a statement last night, absolutely blowing out St. Mary's in the WCC Conference Championship game. So that's something I think a lot of people are going to have in mind as we go into next week uh, in the big tournament. Man, this is – I saw someone on TikTok say conference tournament week might be more fun than the first week of the uh, actual NCAA tournament. I think that might be true. There's just so many – games going on where teams legitimately don't like each other because they're in the same conference. There's rivalries and all these things. And it's just a lot of fun watching basketball, having a great time. How are you doing up in Michigan? Doing pretty well. Like I told you uh, right before we started recording, we're hitting a busy part of the winter sports schedule, but uh, getting uh, into the thick of high school basketball playoffs. But that means, you know, the, the postseason of basketball is here and uh, without uh, much waiting left to do. We're going to be getting into the best part of uh, the basketball schedule, which is March Madness. That gets us into our out-of-the-box draft for today. Uh, we are drafting the best March Madness heroes, the best heroes of the tournament, whether it be you know the conference tournaments that are getting started this weekend, uh, the NCAA tournament, even the NIT, if you wanted to go that route. But all of the postseason basketball tournaments happen in March, and that has created some some of the most legendary games, whether it be, you know, guys that you watch go and play big minutes in the NBA, or if this is the last time you hear from them, uh, their legacy gets created here. So uh, excited to get into this one. Uh, do you have a coin radio? Because I do not have any coins near me today. I do not see one. Oh, okay, let me go. I can go get one. Just give me one sec. Okay. Um, I- I'm very excited for this draft. I, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Did a lot of thinking. Uh, with it and most of the time when I'm doing the drafts I just kind of write down who I think of initially and then I might do a little bit of research I literally had to do no research on this one I just got to write down names and I came up with like I think there's like 13 names on my list so I'm excited I'm gonna have to cut some guys I got just the standard quarter today no woman man killer or anything and that's ahead that's ahead I'm taking first all right, all on you, Freddie Good. Because like I said, I got a lot of names. And when I did did my thinking, I, I just don't see how anyone else could go first. I'm going with one of the biggest heroes of all time. Going back to 2016, a more recent tournament, going to the national championship game in particular, going Chris Jenkins from Villanova. He hit the biggest shot in the history of basketball. Like, that's the coolest, biggest shot ever. You can't top that. A buzzer beater three to win the national championship, there's nothing better. That's what every kid dreams of doing growing up. You sit in your driveway and you're like, three, two, one, and you put up the shot. And if it doesn't go in, it's like, oh, my goodness, there was a foul. There's an extra second on the clock. You try to throw up again. That's what you dream of. You dream of being Chris Jenkins. You get all the glory, and there's just nothing like it. He's 
I like I have no idea what Chris Jenkins has done since Villanova. No idea. And there's a lot of guys on this list, uh, or on my list anyways, that I do know what they've done since they were a hero in March Madness. I have no idea what Chris Jenkins has done since uh, that buzzer beater in the national championship for Villanova. But he will forever be a legend for hitting the greatest shot and I don't even think it's just in college basketball history. I think it's in basketball history with all the meaning behind it. It was such an awesome shot. It's, I mean, Chris Jenkins put the Superman S on his chest because he is an absolute March hero. He, he, when you look up in the dictionary, this picture will be right beside it. So yeah, I'm going Chris Jenkins with my first pick and I'll throw it to you for your first two. Yeah, definitely love that pick. He was actually the last guy I put on like my, my main a list of guys just because I I feel like he goes a little bit his shot is obviously very remembered I feel like him himself sometimes goes a little bit under the radar just because like you said he he kind of went on it went nowhere after his shot it doesn't mean that you know obviously his legacy was cemented with that shot but uh I I don't that team was so good, that Villanova team, and he wasn't, you know, one of the the main stars of that team. So uh, it almost fits just because, you know, he is like that is what we remember him for more than anything. Unless you're a Villanova fan, you you remember Chris Jenkins for that shot and what he did in March. So uh, obviously, love that pick. Uh, with my first pick, I'm gonna dip into my honorable mentions, get my uh, my replacement for Chris Jenkins right off the bat. This was a late ad but is one of the shots that when I immediately think of college basketball and March Madness, when we were growing up, one of the motor iconic moments that made me think, okay, March Madness is different than any other time, any other tournament in basketball. And that was when Ali Farouk Manesh from Northern Iowa beat Kansas with that cold blooded dagger three pointer. I think he had like 16, 18 points, something like that. He hit like four threes, but it was this, Perfect moment of Kansas is down by one. Northern Iowa has the ball with like 40 seconds left. So they have to take a shot and they have to give Kansas the possession one more time. And they break Kansas's press. This is a number one overall seed Kansas that everyone thought was going to the national title that year, walking away with it. I think that was one of the years where Kansas was very much one of the, like the favorite. Uh, and they break the press. They could have held for a, you know, a shot with like 11 seconds left, but Ali Fruitmanesh finds himself wide open on the wing, takes a three with like 30 seconds left and buries it to put him up four. ends up putting the game away uh, and, and starts what was, you know, one of the greater uh, Cinderella stories of our time was Northern Iowa in that, that first run. I think it was in 2011. I want to say that one was something like that somewhere around there. They went on another one. Uh, a little bit more recently, I think 2016, 2017, somewhere around in there, uh, where Northern Iowa has just become this, like, if they get into the tournament, watch out, something good will happen. And uh, I will always remember Ali Farouk and that shot and that first Northern Iowa run. So I uh, wanted to get his shout out there, get him in there uh, among my March heroes. Uh, with my second pick, uh, I'm going to go with uh, – Probably a more memorable guy, a guy who I have his jersey. I've, I've referenced him a few times. There is nothing better in my mind than UConn Kemba Walker. I think he is the best March hero of all time. When you talk about uh, he, as a freshman with that UConn team, uh, ended up going to the, the final four. But we all remember him for that junior 
season run, uh, especially in the 2011 Big East tournament, uh, especially that game clinching shot against Pittsburgh uh, to uh knock the knock the Panthers off in the semifinals. Uh ended up going on to win the Big East title over the or over Louisville. Uh and then I, I, I don't even know how well they did in that tournament, but that stretch in the Big East tournament by Kemba Walker, after having a, a national player of the year type season to to lead UConn to a, a Big East championship in one of the last years of the Big East being a, a conference, uh, Kemba Walker cemented himself as a legend. He ended up, obviously, we know uh, of him as what he's done in the NBA, bouncing around teams and being a, a star point guard uh, since then. But, you know, Number fifteen, UConn Kemba Walker. That's uh, that's unmatched. He goes down in in you know, right up there with all the the March stars that you think of. And uh, happy to have him on my team. Happy to join Ali Farukmanesh. Throw to you for your next two picks. That Kemba Walker run, I, whatever year it was, was incredible. Where they won five games in five days to win the Big East championship, and then going into the NCAA tournament, everybody's like, "We know what Kemba is. We know what he's become. He's, he's he lives for these big time moments." And we saw that buzzer beater that he hit. That's iconic. The step back against Pittsburgh. I mean, Kemba Walker. That's like for the rest of time, Kemba Walker will be mentioned. Uh, when we get ready for the NCAA tournament, it's just that's what he was, and I hate because I hate it because he's known more for that than his NBA career, and he might be like the second best Charlotte Hornet ever, and he's just gonna get remembered just for what he did in college, and that's how remarkable he was in college basketball. And then the Northern Iowa pick, I I've kind of been um, um, haunted by it because Murray joined the Missouri Valley this year. And I've been reminded of all these Missouri Valley teams making these runs in the tournament. It's like, Oh, Murray's not the big fish in a small pond anymore. They're with a bunch of Cinderella's now. So it's kind of interesting seeing that. And it's, uh, I, I definitely remember that because every time Murray's put them twice now, Northern Iowa, and both times I flash back to those runs, those NIU teams made. So yeah, that fantastic pick and the heroes on the Cinderella teams, they almost mean more because those teams don't get to have those moments normally, like a Villanova or UConn. And uh, in saying that, I'm going to stick with a Villanova or a UConn. I'm going to go to UConn. I'm going to go to the guy that was uh, shown how to be a March hero by Kimba Walker. I'm going with Shabazz Napier. And uh, it's kind of in the spirit of you picking Kimba. I think Kimba and Shabazz go hand in hand because Kimba led the way. Kimba was the mentor to Shabazz and Shabazz. He, he got that baton from Kimba and just didn't stop. Shabazz became an absolute superstar in the game of college basketball. But it was a little bit different where Kimba's UConn team, I believe there were a three-seed in the NCAA tournament. Shabazz's UConn team was a seven-seed. And no one really expected them to make a run to the championship. And Shabazz took over. And it's not like he like, – Shabazz hit clutch shots. He didn't hit, like, buzzer beaters or anything like that. Shabazz just took over and carried the scoring load and led a seven-seed UConn team to a national championship, one of the lower seats to ever win a national championship. He learned that those leadership traits and such from Kimba and just took it in stride and became an all-time March legend. Like, Shabazz had a decent NBA career coming off the bench for several teams. He became LeBron's favorite player. Uh, That was a big storyline coming out of that tournament. LeBron really wanted the Heat to draft Shabazz Napier. That didn't happen, Uh, but Shabazz became a legend. Uh, and UConn, those years from 
2010 to like 2013, UConn basketball was iconic. Going from Kimba to Shabazz, I mean, that's just they carved out a legacy in um, college basketball history that can't be overlooked. And obviously, uh, us being the same age, we know just how big of an impact it had on our generation. Because anytime I think about college basketball, UConn's one of the first teams that comes to mind. And it's because of guys like Kimba and Shabazz. My next pick is before our time. And I'm going back to the 90s. I'm going to a guy that has had an impact on my college basketball fandom because I live in the Bluegrass State. And I hear about this guy all the time because everyone in the Bluegrass State hates Christian Leitner. Everyone. Because in 1991 or 1992, I, I can't remember the exact year, in the Elite Eight, Kentucky played Duke. And Christian Leitner if it wasn't for Chris Jenkins, Christian Leitner probably would have the greatest buzzer-beating shot of all time. I think that Chris Jenkins shot's better. Christian Leitner, they, they throw the near full-court pass. He catches it, fade away, makes the shot. They beat Kentucky, and uh, Leitner ends up leading Duke to a national championship. And, man, Kentucky fans, to this day, I mean, it's been 30 years, 31 years. And to this day, people still absolutely despise Christian Leitner. And I didn't know until probably, I guess when the Christian Leitner uh, 30 for 30 came out, I kind of understood he had a good NBA career. He was an NBA all-star. Had no idea. I thought he didn't do anything in the NBA just because when everyone, when in, whenever anyone mentions the name Christian Leitner, they don't think of him as a Dallas Maverick or an Atlanta Hawk. He is a Duke blue devil. And that is all he is. I mean, last week, my aunt talked about how, because the Duke game was on, she was like, you, Duke, I hate them. I'm like, Kentucky and Duke never play anymore. Why do you care? And she's like, Christian Leitner. He's made his legacy as he is that guy that made the big buckets, led Duke to championships in the early 90s, and that's what he's going to be known for. To a lot of people, he's probably remembered more as a March villain, but to the fans in um, – in Durham, North Carolina, there's no doubt that he is a March hero. And, I mean, he, he goes down as one of the greatest uh, March Madness performers ever, and there's no doubt. And I, it's hard to ignore Christian Leitner on a list like this, no matter what you feel about him. I don't really have hard uh, ill feelings with Christian Leitner. It's kind of a respect thing for me because I'm not a Kentucky fan. I'm not a global fan anything like that. Kind of respect him for what he's done. So I, I'm happy to get old Christian Leitner with my third pick, and I'll throw it to you for your last two picks. Yeah, obviously love both of those picks. Christian Leitner, uh, not a guy that I was going to draft just because I tried to stay more to guys that we watched, but obviously he stands out on all the lists when you're looking it up. Like, he, he is a guy that fits that where, like Kemba, like you said, had a good NBA career, but we'll always remember him as a Duke Blue Devil and what he did in college. So uh, can't argue with that. And then Shabazz, obviously, if I wasn't going to get Kemba, Shabazz was the next on my list. So I uh, love both of those picks. I'm going to go with my bias picks because uh, as a Michigan basketball fan, we've had a, a couple of really great moments. And, uh, and of course, I can't let uh, a list like this go without having both of my guys on this list because in reality, both of them deserve it as much. And the, the moments are almost equal in my heart. So I'm going to draft them. But basically at the same time, it's Trey Burke and Jordan Poole. Uh, Trey Burke, is a bit different because Trey Burke was a national player of the year. Uh, he was a, a dominant point guard and had a little bit more of a backstory for Michigan. A, a three-star recruit out of Columbus, Ohio, played high school basketball with Jared Sullinger, 
didn't get an offer from Ohio State, ends up becoming Michigan's probably best player in their in their basketball history. Uh, goes on to win uh, Player of the Year that year. Uh, what was it, 2013, I want to say? 2012-2013 season. Uh, won Player of the Year, you know, the Koozie Award, all of the big awards. Uh, but it was kind of up in the air going into the tournament. It was him and Victor Oladipo uh, from Indiana who both kind of deserved it, really didn't know who was going to get it. And it kind of – they it was kind of one of those where the voters left it up to what happened in the tournament to decide who won national player of the year. And that was great for Trey Burke because obviously we all remember what he did against Kansas with that 38 foot game tying three pointer to send the game into overtime in the sweet 16 ended up going on to win. He scored, he had a double, double 23 points, 10 assists in that game, all 23 points in the second half or overtime uh, to end up beating Kansas, uh, pushed us to a national championship game where we fell to a, a loaded Louisville team for, uh, you know, on uh, certain circumstances out of our control of why that team was so loaded. Uh, but uh, that was the kind of the beginning of the Michigan basketball run that we've talked that we talked about last week. Uh, and then it got extended a few years later with Jordan Poole, uh, when he did uh, uh, essentially the same thing, not as much of the backstory because Jordan Poole was a, a highly regarded kid coming out of, I think he went to La Lu or one of those big schools, one of those big high schools uh, that he, he was a big time recruit. We knew who Jordan Poole was coming in, uh, but kind of seemed like he wasn't going to fulfill really what he had come to be uh you know he had he spent two years at Michigan uh we kind of figured he was going to the NBA after that season uh and going into the tournament it was like well we haven't really accomplished much of anything and he's uh you know he's just really just become a solid NBA player he hasn't really done much and then against Houston did everything and more that we needed him to do by hitting one of the most iconic buzzer beaters in the past five or 10 years, you know, hitting that shot over Houston uh, to send Michigan onto another national championship appearance. Uh, and, and both of those have to be on my list because of, you know, if you haven't experienced March from your own perspective, having your own team have one of those moments, I really hope you get to because it's one of those feelings that you'll never get to have. And it's one of the feelings that basketball in and of itself only gets to bring you because in football, there's Hail Mary moments, but those don't feel the same as when you're you feel like your team is out of it. You feel like your team is done and then you make a shot to make it because a Hail Mary is is luck is is all luck. It's just can the guy bring down the shot a buzzer beater especially with like Trey Burke, when you hit a 38 footer with a man in your face or Jordan pools, where you draw up a perfect inbound play to get a wide open shot and nail that shot. It's such a, a swing of emotions from total despair to total elation in like two seconds. I remember, I think I pulled a muscle when Jordan Poole hit that shot. Cause I was so, I was so down in like a fetal position down to like running around my house because uh, yeah, the, the feeling of a March buzzer beater like that, uh, will live with you forever. It's one of those things where I don't even I don't even care that we didn't win the national championship that year. That was a really good Villanova team that we played that year as well. Uh, it we got our moment in the Sweet 16 by beating the with that that buzzer beater shot. And if if you haven't, like I said, if you haven't experienced that, I hope you get to uh, before you you know at some point in your life because it is one of the greatest feelings that you can have. Uh, so. Give me Jordan Poole. Give me Trey Burke. Love those. Love to have them on the squad. Uh, I'll throw it to you for your last pick. 
I have experienced a Hail Mary for my favorite team, which was one of my favorite moments ever, Tennessee being Georgia with a Hail Mary. Absolutely incredible. You're right, though. A buzzer beater in March, there's nothing like it. I did have Trey Burke and Jordan Poole on my list as well. There's nothing like a buzzer beater in March from your team. And your your speech, your analysis of Jordan Poole and Trey Burke inspired me. I'm changing my last pick. And funny enough, the two guys that slated for this pick are connected because they played each other. My last pick is going to be Denaro Thomas from Murray State, which if you're not a Murray State fan, you do not know who Denaro Thomas is, and that is perfectly fine. But I will never forget the 2010 NCAA tournament. I, uh, I guess I was in seventh or eighth grade, and I got off the bus at my mom's elementary school. And I walked in, and the whole afternoon we watched Murray State play Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt was like a two or three seed, or maybe a four seed. I don't know. Vanderbilt was highly seeded, and all the experts, no one gave Murray State a chance to win that game. And all afternoon at my small middle school in Western Kentucky, we watched the game, and they were going back and forth. Uh, Vanderbilt had, um, I believe they had Festus Azili and John Jenkins. They had some big names, big college basketball names on that team. And Murray State was able to like weather the storm, like we're playing with them. And it was coming down to the wire. I remember back in 2010, didn't have the greatest like cell service on my whatever flip phone. So I had no idea what was going on as I was getting off the bus. And I remember they had a big screen TV in my mom's elementary school cafeteria. And I ran because I knew the game would be on on that TV. And as I'm getting there, Murray State and Vanderbilt, it was a super close game. I don't, I don't know if Vanderbilt was up, whatever it was. Situation was Murray State had a chance to win with like three, four, five seconds left. The inbound of the ball to Denaro Thomas. Denaro Thomas, it's a fadeaway. As time expires, Murray State beat Vanderbilt. It was so electric. I, I remember jumping up in glee. I could not believe that Murray State was able to beat Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt that year like was able to beat Kentucky a few times. The Kentucky team that had John Wall and DeMarcus Cousins and all those stars, and Murray State eliminated them from the tournament. It was just so awesome. It was that first taste of um, March success for me as a Murray State fan, and then that was before I even went to school there, and obviously it uh, kind of propelled Murray State into the success they had in the 2010s and hopefully uh, to come. So, yeah, Denaro Thomas, his buzzer beater, there's nothing like it as a fan to experience that. And obviously, as you get later on into the tournament, it's probably even more elation. But that, man, I will never forget where I was, how I felt, running through the hallways of my mom's elementary school, just going crazy. It was something else. And um, I, I like I said, I, I audibled my pick there. I was going to pick Gordon Hayward from Butler. And Gordon Hayward, obviously, it's not like he had a buzzer beater. He almost hit the greatest buzzer beater ever. But uh, he he's just was a star player for a mid-major that led them to the national championship and nearly won the national championship against the evil Empire Duke. So I thought Gordon Hayward, obviously, is going to be a first alternate. But um, I said they were connected because Gordon Hayward and Butler beat Murray State in the second round that year, the De Niro Thomas team. So they go hand in hand. Um, but yeah, Tenero hit the buzzer beer for Murray, so he gets my final spot. Did you have any alternates? Absolutely. Uh, I dipped into it with Ali Furquinesh. I said I had Shabazz on my alternates as well. Gordon Hayward was also on my alternates. He was, you know, you can like you like you said, you can either have a moment like those buzzer beaters, or you can be one of the the better players on a on a Cinderella like Gordon Hayward was, and he became. I mean, 
under recruited, obviously, because I mean, you look at the the teams that Butler was able to put together with uh, some of those teams. Uh, obviously, a lot more talented than they should have been uh, where they were competing at. Uh, I had a few more biased ones that weren't as big as Trey Burke or Jordan Poole. Cam Chapman hitting a buzzer beater against Indiana in the Big Ten tournament got us in the tournament one year. Xavier Simpson that year, uh, Michigan. You guys might remember Michigan's plane. Uh, slid off the runway before the Big Ten tournament, went on to win the Big Ten tournament. Xavier Simpson was a big part of that. And then Spike Albrick didn't win that national title game, but he had like 17 points in the first half. Uh, people will remember that. In the same vein, Luke Hancock for Louisville <laughs> outdueled him with like 21, like on seven threes, something crazy like that. Uh, Mario Chalmers, uh, one of the first one of the first buzzer beaters that I can vividly remember and being everyone talking about the next day after that battle with uh, Derek Rose and Jan Calipari at Memphis. Uh, Carmelo, obviously, I think he's more in the vein of like a dominant player. Uh, Lorenzo Charles from NC State. He was one of the few guys I would have taken that I didn't watch, but uh, obviously that iconic NC State National Championship uh, with uh, Coach B, you know, that's obvious. And then some, a couple guys from more recent, Jimmer Fredette, I think is one guy that definitely fits in the vein of this that should uh, at least get a mention. And RJ Hunter from Georgia State. Uh, I think that one sticks out as a more recent one in my mind, that that three and then watching his dad fall off the, the scooter or whatever it was, uh, will live on in infamy. But any alternates that you didn't get to pick uh you nailed most of my a lot of those guys i also had as alternates um whichever harrison twin it was from uk that just kept hitting shots they just continued just hit big shot after big shot pat Connaughton from notre dame it felt like he was just the guy for notre dame that year and then ja in 2018 or whatever it was he wouldn't be stopped Jacksonville State had Murray on the ropes in the OBC tournament. Belmont had Murray on the ropes, and Ja would not be stopped. And then once he got to the tournament, was just the best player in the country. There was no doubt about it. And dominated against Marquette, dominated against Florida State. And it's crazy. He dominated in that game, and Murray lost by 30. But Ja was still able to score 30 points and do whatever he wanted. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think that's the only one him and the Harrison twin. Everybody, everybody else got mentioned. So yeah, that's all I got. Good stuff. Good stuff there. That'll wrap up the out of draft. Make sure you get on Twitter and Instagram, get voting on those polls, see which lineup you like better. We're going to get into the question and answer, and I'll let you go first. DH, computer, uh, keep it on the theme of March for your question. Yeah. I was thinking about it earlier this week. Cause there's been lots of fun sports things going on and it feels like, Every time I check Twitter, Instagram, something, there's a fun story. There's something just fun in sports going on. It made me think this might just be a March 2023 thing, but I, I said it last week, whenever the uh, calendar moves to March, I get really giddy and I just get excited because I know all the great things are coming. So I want to know with everything that happens in the month of March, is March the best sports month of the year? So for most most of my life, I'd probably say yes. And, and I think my opinion is still yes, but I'm kind of just going to play devil's advocate here just because I think we're both on the same page. We love March Madness. I've talked about it. I think the NCAA tournament is the best run postseason of any sport, a- any sport, professional college, whatever it may be. So uh, I think we're on the same page there. I think the only competitor to it, and I think we both have our, our love and affection for it, is this, the month of November. Uh, because of just all of the things that collide in November. In March, 
technically most of the good parts of the tournament are in april like the the final four the elite eight all that stuff has that's just because of scheduling and stuff we call it march madness but a lot of march a lot of the ncaa tournament happens in april uh and that's really all that's going on obviously we have like the combine and stuff like that but we're still just getting into baseball we're only getting into the spring training stuff where we're uh it's interesting this year like you said in 2023 with all the rule changes but usually the beginning of spring training is a very mundane time of the year uh and with football i'm going to be talking a lot about football in this week in sports this but it's a lot of the times in March, we're creating stories about football. We're trying to talk about the combine in ways that are interesting. We're trying to make the draft interesting right now or, or free agency like we're going to talk about here. Uh, and sometimes like this year, it provides us with really fun stuff to talk about like we're going to. Uh, but that uh, is not as reliable as November can be because November we get the best part of the college football season, the end of the college football regular season, we're getting close enough to the NFL postseason where we can kind of start to create big games, like big games start at the end of November in the NFL. Uh, And then you've got basketball just starting up. You've got the beginning of the NBA season. You've got the beginning of the college basketball season. And you've got sort of that anticipation, not on the same level that we have right now for March Madness, but you get that anticipation for basketball uh in the in a similar way than we do right now so um all that being said i do think march is like one or one one a or one b like i i think there's no question that it's one of the best sports months of all time especially uh if you are a college basketball fan like we are uh i just think uh yeah november gets should get its shine too i think it, it's a little bit slept on just because there's no real postseason things happening but we get Michigan, Ohio State, we get all the the Iron Bowl, all the big college football rivalries mashed in with basketball at the same time. So uh, I, I think the argument between March and November is an interesting one. I'd like to hear your take on it, though. So I, I wrote a blog like seven years ago, and I ranked the months as sports months. And when it was all said and done, April won for me. So I was like, the NFL draft, I love the NFL draft maybe more than the NFL season. I think it's so much fun. Uh, you got college basketball, national championship, opening day in baseball, all these things. Like, it's it's a real murderer's row of events happening in April. I think, like, uh, like I said, I was really optimistic about this. I was like, is March the best month? I think in 2023 it is. Because there's so many things happening right now. Obviously, March Madness is getting going. And this March Madness, we've talked about it. We don't know what's going to happen because it's like, does everyone suck? Is everybody good? We don't know. You got the draft combine just happened, which was there were so many storylines that came out of that. The XFL, I'm going to keep talking about it, is awesome. And I, I just want to see it succeed because it's it's this new and visionary um, uh, idea and lens on football that I think is a lot of fun. The NBA is getting going and there's – so many ha- things happen in the association and so much drama and all the good things we like about the NBA and then spring training and the world baseball classic, which I'm going to get into in this week in sports. I think the world baseball classic is going to be awesome this year. And I, I just think there's so many things going on that make March, at least in 2023, the best sports month. I, I just think it's because of all the different components from different sides of the sports world. I mean, I didn't even mention last weekend, there was a John Jones fight. Like, there's so many big events. Like, we, we've talked about on the show plenty. 
you got to have a big name for us to kind of check into the combat sports world. Like if there's a Paul fight or, you know, John Jones. And I, I went out of my way to watch John Jones last Saturday and the fight ended in like a minute. And I was like, yeah, it's because he's the goat. It's John Bones Jones. And I, I was not upset about it. So I, I think there's just, there's such a um, variety and there's just so many things to uh, appease our taste buds in the sports world in the month of March, the, at least this year, that it makes it the best sports month. And that, I think I'll leave it at that. I'm pretty happy with March in 2023. Yeah, I agree. Like I said, the, there's a lot going on right now. We're going to get into that in this week in sports. Uh, part of that will be our reaction to the NFL Combine. Uh, and my question revolves a little bit around that. You can you can take from that what you will, but we're going to be talking about uh, a topic we've talked about in a different realm a, a few times, and that's the C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young comparison. I think still the top two quarterbacks to be taken, obviously, after the combine. People are really high on Anthony Richardson. People are really high on Will Levis. I still, as college football fans, we're big fans of C.J. and Bryce. We've talked about the comparison between the two as being the best college football players. The conversation as NFL prospects and as potential first overall picks or potential leaders of a franchise is a different uh, discussion altogether. And I, I think it's worth having that discussion now before the draft and all that stuff gets going uh, is revisit that, you know, that, that question, who do you prefer CJ, CJ Stroud versus Bryce Young in an NFL comparison? I want to hear your thoughts on that. If I was a GM, I would say CJ Stroud. So I think CJ Stroud, there's a lot less risk with CJ Stroud because he fits all the, all the, uh, whatever you want to, all the stereotypes, all the, he meets all the measures, everything. He, he looks like the prototypical NFL quarterback. He's got the size. He, he can make all the throws. He can do everything. And the only thing that Bryce has going against him is that he's a little fella. That's all it is. He's just a little fella. And he can't help that. I like, there's nothing he can do. He's five foot 10. That, and that's what that's what's keeping Bryce Young from being the number one pick in this NFL draft. And I, I think that's what a lot of teams need to sit down and realize. That like the only reason Bryce Young is not the layup number one pick is because he's a little fella. He's our short king of college football. And that should say a lot. Cause like if CJ Stroud was this much better, he'd be the slam dunk number one pick. And he's not. We we don't know where CJ CJ's gonna probably go top five. He's probably not going to go top one. Top one. He's probably not going to go number one. Um, whereas if Bryce Young, I, if Bryce Young was like six one, I think he'd go number one. It's just Bryce, a little fella, and uh, it's really it's hurting his draft stock. And I hate that because I watching both these guys, and I mean you know it uh, as well as anyone. I really like CJ Stroud, and I, I praised them the last two years at Ohio State. But there's no one I think in college football that I respect more, maybe Hendon Hooker, uh, than Bryce Young. Bryce Young, what he did at Alabama, I mean, showing in that Heisman season with all those talented receivers and then coming back and having really no one except for Jameer Gibbs and still being incredible. I think it's such a testament to him because he really, like, I don't know that I can name anyone except Jameer Gibbs and um, their tight end off that Alabama offense, they're skill players. I mean, they were, they just weren't very good, which was so odd for an Alabama team. And Bryce Young still had a great season, uh, led them to a Sugar Bowl victory. And, I mean, he still has his name in this conversation. And I, I really think the only reason that 
um, Bryce Young isn't the slam dunk number one pick is because, like I said, he might be smaller than Kyler Murray. And, that, like, Kyler Murray was so small that, there, like, there was tons of controversy, but there wasn't – there weren't other great players pushing for that number one pick. Whereas in this draft, we got quite a few really, really good players, which is uh, really cool. But, yeah, I – I really think it all comes down to just Bryce being, like I said, a little, little fella and there are people getting scared. Cause it, it, I understand if you're a GM, especially like a new one and you're drafting a quarterback, the, there are things that are like, okay, Bryce Young's like his size. I mean, the NFL, you're going to get hit that if they're wagering everything, they don't want Bryce Young to get hit twice and they lose their job because he can't, his body can't hold up. So I get that, but I don't know. I've seen what Bryce can do in the SEC, and I know, like, oh, the SEC, it's so much better. I'm not trying to say that, but the SEC is high-level football, same as the Big Ten. And I think if Bryce can do it in the SEC, same as CJ doing it in the Big Ten, I think he can do it in the NFL. I, I think both these guys are slam dunks. I really do. I don't think that we've had that very often in the draft with quarterbacks, and obviously it all depends where they end up. But I think both Bryce and CJ could be very, very good. But my preference – is Bryce. And you know, that's not biased because I hate the Institute. He went to very, very much. So I, yeah, I, I'm taking Bryce, even though he's our short King. I think it's really interesting. And you, you hit on it is the, the fact that, you know, Bryce is smaller. Uh, the fact that, that there's just no getting around the fact that Bryce, the, the things that are taking away from Bryce are his, just his height and just his, his size overall. Um, but it isn't something that disqualifies a quarterback anymore because of what something like Kyler Murray has done. I, I mean, I remember back in 2006, Troy Smith was a very similar quarterback to, to Bryce Young, but they didn't even consider him an NFL, an NFL leading guy because he was just too small. And that, that, that was back when we started watching the NFL draft and stuff like that, that was a deal breaker. It was, you know, the combine, these measurables made so much of a difference uh, that the fact that uh, there it would be it would be laughable to be thinking about taking Bryce Young over a guy like Anthony Richardson who had one of the greatest combine performances we've seen. Uh, but I think both of us are on the same page where I think a, a team would be smarter to take Bryce Young at this point. And in the re- I'm going to qualify this right now. We're going to be I'm going to nitpick the hell out of two really really good quarterbacks who I think are the the top two quarterbacks out of the NFL. So or coming into the NFL draft. So I don't. Uh, want to be seen as I'm uh, sliding either of them because uh, I'm going to talk down on CJ for a little bit because I think CJ's a great quarterback. I've seen him do really good things in the Big Ten. Uh, I think when you're just comparing the two, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. Where Bryce looked great with less talent this year, he took a step back in his talent level the, the surrounding him in the skill positions like at wide receiver. You lose a guy like Jamison Williams and don't really replace him. CJ Stroud has a ton of really good receivers around him. I mean, you I don't need to tell everyone about how good Marvin Harrison Jr. is. We all know how good he is. Every other wide receiver on his on his roster is either a number 1 or number 2 overall wide receiver in their class. All of them were five stars. Like almost down the list to the point where like Julian Fleming, a former number 1 overall guy, is struggling to find snaps on the field. Uh, and then people are like asking him to transfer when their uh, Ohio state fans are looking for him to transfer. And I think people don't put enough stock into that stuff because we can look at the measurables all day. CJ throws such pretty balls, but I, that's what I expect from a guy who has put 
his time and his craft into perfecting his, he's going to be able to make every throw. Uh, and it's something I'm going to get into the combine where I don't know if the, the, the throwing portion of the combine for the quarterbacks is really all that important to anyone anymore, considering that's what, that should be like the a millionth time that they've done that same routine. So I would expect them all to look really good throwing the ball for the millionth time in the same exact way. I, I think the difference here is what they did at the college level. And what Bryce did was make his team a lot better through his play, whereas CJ, I don't want to say he made his team worse, but they were about what you expect Ohio State to be. They were really good passing the ball. They were really efficient in and really good. But when they played better defenses like Michigan, they struggled. They didn't, they weren't as dominant and it wasn't uh, as sure of a thing. And when CJ gets to the next level, he's not going to have, the the receiver room that he just did he just will never there will never be a time where his receivers will be as way as better than the corners than they were at Ohio State against the teams that he faced it just will never happen you'll never have that much loaded talent at the receiver room and he already wasn't winning like I I know he won 11 games both years but when it came down to the big moments he didn't win those games and a lot of times with quarterbacks that ends up being the difference that was the difference with Matt Stafford in Detroit that was the difference with a lot of guys where it's like can you win the big games and CJ has struggled in that sense other than in that game against Georgia where I I, I think you can kind of absolve him of that loss um so it, you could use the same argument against Bryce I just think Bryce was a little bit in a one with his height and two with the the players that he had around him he was at a little bit of a disadvantage but the fact that the the gap isn't that clear like like you said CJ should be running away with it at this point uh, but the fact that he hasn't shows me that Bryce has just a little bit more of that I I hate to say it because it's a meme but he has that dog in him he has just a little bit more of that dog in him and I think that it's something that I've always wanted more of out of CJ is the the ability to go out and say, I'm going to go win this game because I'm the best player on the field. Not just saying it afterwards uh, because you you had some pretty stats afterwards. And I think that's the biggest difference. Obviously, I think both of these guys will be successful. At the end of the day, I think both of these guys are the best quarterback coming out. But I think if I'm a, an NFL GM at this point, I'm I'm looking at Bryce twice or three times or four times and being like, He's got to show me something for me not to draft him at this point. I'm not I'm not comparing him to the other guys. I need to find something that's like clearly going to sway me away from him and I don't think you're going to find anything uh cuz he had such a perfect career at Alabama. Uh so I, I right now I'm on the Bryce train. Uh we'll get into the combine stuff later and like the other quarterbacks that are kind of inserting their name into that that conversation as well, but uh right now I think I'm on the Bryce train fully. Uh, as we get into the NFL draft conversation. Uh, that gets us into this week in sports. We've got a couple of uh, not-so-fun topics to talk about off the top of stuff. DH, you've got a, a bit of a personal one. Uh, I'll let you uh, take the floor with the John Moran stuff. Yeah, uh, last Friday, I I, um, I woke up at about 4.30 in the morning, and I checked my phone. It said, John Morant started a live video on Instagram. And I didn't think anything of it. I was like, whatever, John, just being John, whatever. And I went back to sleep. And the next morning, uh, I woke up probably like, I don't know, it was Saturday, probably like 10 o'clock, get on Twitter and scrolling. And you start to see the screenshots uh, and the screen recordings of what that Instagram live was. 
Ja went to the club in Denver, Colorado after the Grizzlies game against the Nuggets last Friday. And he was in the club, didn't have a shirt on. And uh, in at one part of the live stream, he pulled out a gun, which is obviously a huge no-no. And it felt like it was the final tipping point of all this controversy that's been surrounding Ja for the past, it's been several months at this point. And it, obviously the, the NBA came out and announced an investigation. The Denver police are investigating Ja for obviously having a gun inside a club. And the NBA, the CBA has like a strict no gun policy. So there's lots of things going on there. The Grizzlies suspended Ja for two games, which has been, fulfilled at this point, but they don't expect job back anytime soon. I, I'm i not going to pile on and dog on jaw because that's what ESPN and Fox Sports and all these people have done. I, that's not what John needs. That's going to push him in the wrong direction. John's 23 years old. A lot of people, I, and John messed up. There's no doubt about it. And I'm not going to act like everything he's done is okay because it's not. But a lot of people just dogging on him. And there's a reason John deleted his social media that he did that last Saturday because all he's getting is negative, 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 negative. And that's not what people need when they mess up. They need people building them back up. And Ja, it seems like I really hope the reports are true. He, he's checking himself into rehab and um, trying to take care of himself, trying to get back uh, to being Ja Maria and getting out of this funk. There's tons of reports about things that may or may not be true. And I'm not going to get into that. Um, I think Jalen Rose put it the best possibly. He was like, he doesn't need people dogging on him. He needs people to build him up because Ja before, I mean, it's literally this year. It feels like was this just shining light in Memphis. He seemed like a great role model. He seemed like someone that Memphis could build around. And it just seems like he's gone through some dark times. I think that, um, a lot of us, we, and we've talked about it with Brandon Miller and Jalen Carter. Athletes aren't perfect. They mess up. And as much as I've talked about how we might want to be like, well, they don't play for our favorite teams. We want to, we want to um, crucify them. We want them to be just the worst. You got to realize these are kids. Jalen Carter's a kid. Brandon Miller's a kid. Ja, he's 23 years old. Yes, that's, he's been in the NBA for a few years. 23 is still very young. And he's figuring things out. He, he's a multi multi-millionaire playing basketball. He, it's not like he's got the world figured out. And Jalen Rose, he said, we got to just be there to support Ja. We need guys to be in there telling Ja that you don't have to act this way. You don't have to drink and go out to the club and flash guns and all that. It's okay. You're Ja Morant you're already cool enough like that you don't have to put on any kind of act. And I, I really hope that message gets through. I hope guys like Jalen Rose can be an influence on Ja because Jalen Rose is a great influence on anyone. It seems like Jalen Rose uh, has been a great figure in sports. And I mean, we, we talked about it. It seems like the past three weeks we've talked about how um, there's been some of these young guys in sports messing up and hopefully um, Ja can kind of be, a beacon of hope that you can mess up, but you can also, you can get help and uh, you can course correct and get back on the right track. And that's all I can hope for. I really, really do. I don't want to see jaw go down the stark road. And I, it seems like, it seems like a lot of people have given up on him. And I really, really hate that. I really do. Cause I, I, I met jaw only a few times at Murray state 
but every time I met him, he was he, a good guy. That, that's the vibes I got every single time. Um, after he got drafted, I, he was at a game and I went and dapped him up. And I was like, hey, John, like, I'm so happy for you. Congratulations. He dapped me up. He's like, thanks, man. Uh, be sure to come out to Memphis. I was like, yeah, of course. And I, it was just things like that. He didn't have to even say a word to me. And he, he was more than happy to. So I, I have no bad experiences with John. I just hope he gets the help he needs, whatever that may be. And uh, he can course correct and get, uh, get right again and uh, get out of a dark time. Cause I think a lot of us can relate to that. We we went through dark times. We all mess up. And I, I just, his mess ups, are being thrown on a national stage and it feels like he's digging a deeper hole uh, and hopefully somebody can throw him a ladder or throw him some rope and he can get out of it. I re- really, really hope so. Uh, but yeah, I just send in all my love and uh, I just really, really hope John gets the help he needs. And another guy that has been through some dark times and might be getting into one again, Joe Mixon is somebody that you want to talk about. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've talked about Brandon Miller Jalen Carter, now John Morant. And I think they all fit into a realm kind of in the same where I talked about Imani Bates, where these young kids become national celebrities overnight, basically, and and have to deal with that. And I I don't think a lot of people uh, really understand the ramifications of that and how big of a transition that is and how uh, it can affect people negatively. And, And I think with these young kids, there's a, there's a chance for them to, you know, course correct, figure out the way that they, they need to handle themselves now that they're, you know, big influential types of guys uh, and can, you know, truly better their lives. I think you look at a guy like Joe Mixon as a, a kind of a, an example of how poorly it can go if you don't course correct, because Joe Mixon has had his fair share of legal and, bad things happen in his past and the most recent one seems to be uh just based on the facts because it's very fuzzy at this point i'll just say as right now but just based on the facts is very uh sketchy situation with joe mixon uh if you haven't heard uh recently i think it was over the weekend uh there was a shots fire called at his house and a juvenile was taken to the hospital with minor injuries something about a nerf gun fight something we don't know the full uh perspective of it but with joe mixon's past especially his recent past uh just this just this offseason pointing a gun at someone uh and and threatening them tied back to what he did back in the day uh with a, a very public physical assault on a woman when he was in college uh and, and other uh, the, I, there was another one where he had like an incident with a parking attendant meter when he was in college as well, where he tried to he threatened him with his car. And uh, I think this is the example of what you what happens when too many adults and then we talked about it with the Brandon Miller and, and Jalen Carter, when too many adults give enough leeway to someone where we we talk about building someone up there also has to be consequences for actions and i i truly believe joe mixon is a result of not enough consequences for his prior actions because uh that that was the biggest thing i think with joe mixon moving forward was uh, if we're going to accept him as you know we, we knew how talented he was he was going to be an nfl running back for a long time if we if the nfl allowed him to kind of try to rehab his image it was a very shaky thing at that. If if he even looks the wrong way, it's going to be a bad look on, on everyone that gave him another shot. And I feel like that's 
where the conversation isn't going at this point. We're, we're focusing a lot on Joe Mixon, and clearly so. He's made some dumb mistakes. Uh, he's going to suffer the consequences of that. It needs to be reflected back on the people that, that drafted him and now the people that have given him contracts over and over again that, look, you didn't do your job. You didn't do your due diligence. You The, the, the point of giving Joe Mixon another shot was that we thought he had rehabbed his uh, image. We thought – he had changed his ways and he was going to be uh, not doing these things in the future. And this offseason has just proved it's, it's only gone in the wrong direction. So uh, yeah, he makes his mistakes. We're going to, he's going to learn from that. His NFL career is definitely uncertain at this point. I think we need to start holding people accountable that didn't hold him accountable. I think there that's where my conversation needs to go. I think the conversation needs to go because we can dog on Joe Mixon all we want. We don't know. We don't know all the facts. We don't know exactly what happened, but uh, we knew what Joe Mixon was before this. And the fact that it's gotten here is no surprise to anyone. And the fact that we allowed him to become an NFL star running back uh, whoever is responsible for that is kind of should be feeling as much heat as Joe Mixon is right now, because that's, I, I think that's uh, one of the things that just gets overlooked in the situation is a lot of people enabled a, a guy like this to become where, to get to where he's at now. Uh, and that we need to stop that. I, I, there, there's just too many examples of this going on where we need positive examples of guys rehabbing their image versus these negative examples that keep coming up because it's a bad look on the sports world. We don't, we, we talked about it before. There's a lot of fun things happening right now. And we had to lead this week in sports off with two really negative stories that I don't think either of us really want to talk about, but uh, hopefully at some point uh, guys will start looking at this and go, okay, I let's just, let's take a step back and, and, and see how we can fix ourselves before something like this happens. Uh, that's at least if we can get a positive out of this, hopefully that's what will come out of it. It's guys just saying, you know what, like Ja, going out of his way to check himself in the rehab and say, all right, I'm going to course correct before uh, before it gets to this point. Because yeah, Joe Mixon's in a world of hurt. I, I hope it's not as bad as we think it is, um, but we will see as as time develops. We will move on. From some rough NFL news to some more uh, interesting NFL news with the franchise tag and our our man in Baltimore, Lamar Jackson, DH. The NFL is really stupid. I, I don't understand the NFL at all. Uh, we're switching lanes like 360. Um, I, it makes no sense to me. Lamar Jackson is 26 years old, a former MVP. And I feel like NFL teams, they might be so stupid, they don't know what MVP stands for. He was the most valuable player in the National Football League. He was the best football player on the planet. Twice he won the MVP and he won the Heisman Trophy. That goes to the best college football player. He dominated college football and the NFL. And now NFL teams are like, we don't want him. No thanks. Last summer, teams were like trying to kill each other to get Deshaun Watson, who I, I don't want to tear down Deshaun Watson. It seems like he is doing making the right moves. We're, we're being positive on the Dylan and Dylan show. But last summer, there were lots of question marks around Deshaun Watson. We, we didn't know a lot of things going on with Deshaun Watson, and teams were clamoring over each other, trying to give him all the money in the world to play for their football team. And now we've got Lamar who has done more in his NFL career than Deshaun Watson has. And 
teams like we're good. They're like publicly saying we don't want anything to do with Lamar. Lamar has like no problems off the field that are like publicly known. And like he's just been a great NFL quarterback. And I, I'll put my hand up. I did not expect Lamar to come in the NFL and be this just great starting quarterback. I know some people were very high on him coming out of Louisville. I didn't know that would translate. I was wrong. He's been really, really good. And it's a credit to the Ravens. Uh, they've adapted and they uh, converted their offense to fit Lamar. And I just think it's amazing that um, they haven't been, been able to come to terms. Baltimore said multiple times, they're like, we've offered him a lot of money, but Lamar wants a guaranteed deal and they won't do that. And now they're like, just at this, they're, they're at a stop. They, they don't know what to do. Lamar obviously doesn't want to go back to Baltimore and Baltimore is basically saying, well, if anyone else offers him a contract, we're just going to match it. And it's like, well, what do we do now? And I just think it's, it's really crappy because a lot of these teams are like, we don't want to go through all these negotiations and get the work done for Lamar. And it, I just hate it. I, I really, really hate it because Lamar wants to get out. He wants to, I, I guess he just wants to go somewhere else. And I, it's at times like this where I appreciate the NBA because it has become such a player's league, which the NFL, God bless them, the NFL is not a player's league. And if, it, if this was the case, Lamar would be headed wherever else. He, he wouldn't be stuck in Baltimore. He wouldn't be stuck in a situation where Baltimore, which I know the NBA has restricted free agents, but the NBA, the way, I mean, we all know how it works. If a player wants out, they get out. Lamar, it seems like he's stuck. And that, that sucks. I wish there was a way that, and I hope there's a way that this can get worked out. Lamar can end up somewhere else because it's obvious he, he wants out, even though he's had so much success in Baltimore. I personally would love to see, like, I don't know, I, like a sign and trade type deal. He can come to Nashville, Titans and pick 11 and Ryan Tannehill for him. That seems like a fair deal to me. And the Titans have to pay $700 million or whatever it is to get Lamar Jackson. Everyone's happy. But I, I just think, I think there would be a lot of headaches saved if Baltimore's just like, okay, you can go. Or they're like, hey, we'll just trade you. And it just feels like it's not happening. And other teams are like, well, we're not going to touch it either. And it's like, come on. He's an MVP. What are we doing here? It's very, very head-scratching. It doesn't make sense to me. And I uh, I don't know. I don't like it. I've become a big Lamar fan over the past two years, and I, I want to see Lamar play football. And it seems like last year we got a lot of not Lamar playing football. Obviously, I know I know because of the injuries. I don't think Lamar came back because he didn't. I think Lamar got healthy and decided not to play because he didn't want to play for the Ravens. So, Hopefully this can all get panned out and we get to watch one of the best football players in the world play football. Um, and I think going off that, you want to talk about some of the other really good football players on this planet. Yeah, I'll, I'll touch on Lamar Jackson stuff because uh, it's very clear with that situation that the – so he's representing himself. He doesn't have an agent, so that's one of the big things. And he wants a, a Deshaun Watson-type contract, that fully guaranteed contract, which is the big thing. I'm very team Lamar because he is exposing the NFL for what it is. And that's a bunch of people colluding to make the, to coat their pockets rather than put the best product on the field. Because you're right. There's no reason a team like Atlanta a team, like uh, uh, Carolina, a team like Baltimore 
would not want to spend the money that, that Lamar Jackson wants. It's the fact that they want to collude and not pay these guaranteed contracts to players because they don't want to do that to their, their star players in the future. They want to, they want to save their money. They want to be protected in case a guy like Lamar gets hurt. I, I'm sorry. I think the players deserve better than that. And I'm happy that Lamar is fighting the fight in that situation where he says, no, if Deshaun Watson, who had was literally indefinitely suspended and going through legal issues at the time can get a max contract, a guaranteed contract of $230 million, then so can Lamar Jackson, who's only been better and clean throughout his career in the NFL, who actually won an MVP and did something with Baltimore. So uh, I'm completely on Lamar's side there. I really hope he holds out for as long as he can and gets that guaranteed contract. And I hope that's something for NFL players down, down the road that, that, we don't have to learn about these guys who have to lose out on millions of dollars because they get hurt. So uh, that's awesome. I I really hope Lamar gets that done because it would be awesome to see. It's been awesome to see other guys like Geno Smith, who Geno Smith, one of the greatest NFL comeback stories of all time, a guy that uh, was so talented. We talked about his time in West Virginia, so talented, uh, had such good arm strength, and a guy that really never got his shot in, in an NFL organization that could allow him to thrive. Uh, and then he does, and then he goes out with Seattle, gets that shot. Everyone laughed at Seattle for taking Geno Smith, and then all of a sudden, look how it works out. They've got a guy uh, – they've got a guy – better off than they probably would have been with Russell Wilson with the the decline that his game took this year. Uh, And now they've got a guy that is affordable and they can build around for the next few years. And Geno Smith is back in the league and he's a starting quarterback for the foreseeable future. I love that. Uh, I love that Derek Carr found a spot in Seattle or not in Seattle in new Orleans. Uh, I think that's a really good fit for him. I think that just makes sense with the way, with where their organization is at. Uh, I'm happy to see that happen for him because I I think he deserved another shot after what happened in Las Vegas. Uh, And speaking of Las Vegas, what the hell is going on with Aaron Rodgers? I just, I, I I find it so funny that he is just going through all of this. He seems like a guy that hates the press and then does all this stuff just so the press will follow him. It's such a weird dynamic with it because there's no way like if you were really going on a darkness retreat and you really wanted to clear your mind, you think you would tell everyone that you're going on a darkness tre- retreat and then Adam Schefter gets a notification the second he re- he's out of the darkness retreat. He's a, he, Aaron Rodgers, a really interesting dude. Uh, and I've, I think we've all understood that with this latest saga that he's going through. And I just don't, it seems like he's, his time is done in green Bay. It sounds like maybe New York or Las Vegas are the biggest suitors at this point. I don't know. I, I'm very interested to see if he goes down the route of uh, Brett Favre, where it's like, okay, you, maybe you should have retired as a Packer. Or, if, I, mean, I still think he's a very talented quarterback. I, I, aside from all his personal stuff and how weird he's been, he's got talent still and left in his in that body. Obviously, he was an MVP uh, not, not long ago. So we know he's got the talent to do something. And I wonder, you know, People are very high on the Jets. They think they're a quarterback away. I wonder how good that team can be if Aaron Rodgers joins that team. I, I, I don't know if I'm that sold that Aaron Rodgers is the missing piece from that team, but 
it'd be really interesting to see what a guy as talented as Aaron Rodgers does moving teams like that, because that, that could jumpstart any team. It doesn't matter where they're at. Uh, they could be a, a playoff contender, just, just adding a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers. So uh, it's really interesting to see. I'm very interested to see how all this, uh, you know, the free agency stuff gets, gets going as these franchise tags get handed out. Now guys have a better feel of what they can expect in free agency. Uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how it, it all plays out down the road. Uh, moving on from the NFL, you talked about it earlier. The world baseball classic is starting up. Let's hear about your thoughts on that. I'm so excited about the world baseball classic. It's here. And I feel like we've been hearing about it since last summer when guys started to commit to play for their countries and I don't know. I'm just so excited for it. I obviously the Cardinals have a lot of guys playing uh, for teams all around this tournament. Uh, guys like Goldschmidt, Arenado, Wainwright, all playing for Team USA. Uh, Tommy Edmund playing for Team Korea. Lars Newbar playing for Team Japan. I I just can't wait to see how it goes down. Obviously, you've got teams like the Dominican Republic and Team USA who are heavy favorites going into this. Team USA's lineup, I mean, my goodness, what a murderer's row. But you can say the same thing about the Dominican Republic's team. And obviously, it seems like they're on just a course collision to each other to whenever they get to play one another. But I, I find myself, and I know we are true-blooded Americans. We should be rooting for Team USA all the way. I love Team Japan so much because you've got the two most pure baseball players in the world. And I'm not saying like how they play. I'm saying just pure hearted people on Team Japan. You've got Shohei Otani, who is maybe the nicest man alive. It seems like Shohei is just such a treat. Obviously, he's the best baseball player in the world, but he just seems so nice. He just seems like a good guy. And then you have Lars Nootbaar who if a golden retriever was a person, it would be Lars Nootbaar. And, You've got Newt and Shohei down in Japan, and it seems like they've just instantly become best friends. I want like a buddy cop movie about Shohei Otani and Lars Nupar. I, I just go on wacky adventures and just have a great time. It just seems like they're such a great duo, and I, I hope it's like Newt recruiting Shohei to St. Louis. He's like, hey, the Angels really suck. We're, we're Team Japan teammates. Why don't you come to St. Louis so we can rekindle this amazing fire in St. Louis? That would be pretty neat. But I, I just, even if that's not the case, watching Shohei and Newt just have a great time in Japan is awesome. And then obviously as we as we get going into the later rounds of the World Baseball Classic to, to see what could happen, if those guys can make a run. I, I think it's on Team Japan, you've got Shohei, you've got Lars, you've got uh, Hugh Darvish, which are all big names then it'll be. And then I mean, like I mentioned, you've got Team USA and Team uh, the Dominican Republic. Those two teams, they're just, it's just going to be like, who can give them a game? Because they're just, I mean, it's MLB all-star teams. That's what it comes down to. And it's going to be a lot of fun to see if those are the teams that make the finals and uh, what it's going to look like. And then got to give a shout-out to Team Israel because they might have the best uh, shirt. I don't know if you saw it. But the, the Brewers, you know the Brewers, they say the Brew Crew, Team Israel, they have shirts that say the Jew Crew, and I just think that's incredible. So I got to give them a shout-out there. But I, the World Baseball Classic, it's coming at the perfect time. Spring training had just started. My excitement for baseball is there. Football's over. I know I got the XFL, but football's over. And uh, I'm excited for another sport to start up, and it's baseball. And I, we're going to get that World Baseball Classic feel before opening day. And it feels like there's going to be some really fun games. And uh, – Hopefully we'll get some intense matchups and uh, just fun baseball action 
as we uh, gear towards opening day in the MLB. But yeah, I think it's gonna be a lot of fun. I'm excited to see how it goes down and what all happens. And uh, we'll see, I think we'll see some pretty iconic moments in the coming weeks in the World Baseball Classic. And to have that going on during March Madness, uh, given something else to watch, maybe if there's a bad game, uh, I, I don't think that's a bad thing at all. Uh, but yeah, I'm excited for the World Baseball Classic. And uh, I talked about how there was so many great players playing in this tournament. There's a lot of great players in Indianapolis last weekend for the NFL Draft Combine. And I think you're going to tell us a little about about your reactions to maybe some guys that shined there. Yeah, uh, like I said earlier, a lot of the times we're trying to create reactions to the Combine. I think the Combine actually provided us with some good stuff. Uh, Overall, I think we're getting to a point, though, where the Combine is going to be less necessary as – I. I, I thought about it because I, I, I can't remember who it was. I think it was Anthony Richardson who they, they clocked his miles per hour at like 23 or something. It was the fastest of anyone there. And I was like, yeah, we have that technology now. Why are we timing guys on stopwatches still? Like, why are we still doing that uh, when we have literal like game breaking technology that can do the, the, we can get the actual measurements we're looking for not the things we're trying to measure with the other measurements. Uh, so I think the combine is, is getting to a point where it's, it's uh, a little bit outdated, uh, but there's still some fun things you can take away from that. It was fun as a Michigan fan seeing GJ Turner clock the fastest time at the combine of 4.26. Didn't expect that from him because he was actually more of our, you know, kind of our big hitter corner. Uh, Will Johnson has taken over as kind of the guy that everyone knows from Michigan secondary. So uh, it's interesting to see a guy like GJ Turner excel at, at that and, and a couple other guys like our offensive linemen excel on the bench press and stuff like that so uh always fun to see those things when your team is involved with it uh i talked about it earlier i don't take a lot from the quarterback stuff uh, it's not like it's a it seems more like a routine than it does a drill like where you're actually taking anything guys can plan that stuff out and get the exact throws that they want and i think it shows when a guy like Stetson, Demet, Stetson Bennett looks amazing all of a sudden at, at the, at the combine, uh, when we've talked about it, he's not, uh, he's not a true NFL guy compared to these other dudes. They are not, we are not looking at Stetson Bennett in the same way we're looking at CJ Stroud or Bryce Young or even Will Levis at this point. Uh, so the fact that he can go out and make some of those throws look so effortless, I think shows more about the outdatedness of the drill than how good Stetson could be. Uh, that being said, I do think of anyone that swayed my opinion of them, it was Anthony Richardson with just his pure, I, 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 there is few things at the combine that you can do that can shock you. And it's just Anthony Richardson being Anthony Richardson that shocks you the most. I mean, I didn't even see his measurables. I just saw a photo of him in the, it was what that photo of him at the side profile with his arm all the way cocked back on the throw. It's like, he looks like an action figure. Like he looks like he's built up like a WWE wrestling action figure where I, I can't believe the human being looks like that at like 22 years old. That's crazy to me. Uh, and yeah, obviously put together some of the most insane stats that we've seen from a quarterback coming out. One of the fastest 40 yard dashes, uh, fastest arm strength. Uh, he is raw and he is like the, the guy in the NFL draft going in that a lot of college fans are probably going to say, why is Anthony Richardson? We, we know what Anthony Richardson was against better teams, but it's like, he's the exception. 
Like he is the exception to like, usually you can see what the guy is at, at college. We talked about Bryce and CJ and what they did. When you've got a guy as a, a physical specimen, like Anthony Richardson, there is going to be a team that needs to take a, a chance on him. And I'm not so sure the lions won't be that team because like, it's just, when you look at a guy like that, potentially leading your team, it's just teaching him the, the small things of being a quarterback versus like, you can't, make a six foot four fast guy that can throw the football the way that he does. There, there are just so few guys that can do the things that Anthony Richardson does. So um, as much as I hate on stuff like the combine and stuff like that, I do think there's certain circumstances like that where you can, you can still make a name for yourself. And I think Anthony Richardson did just that. Uh, I think that's the biggest thing that you can take away from uh, the combine. But I, a lot of guys up there stood out. It's going to be interesting to see how that affects their draft process uh, as we go on in the next few months. We're going to move on back to college football. Or yeah, back to college quick. football. Yeah. Back to uh, college football real quick. I, I had to talk about Anthony Richardson. I'm so happy that you've fallen in love with Anthony Richardson because this is a guy that I should not like. Kind of like Bryce Young. Shouldn't like Bryce Young. He went to Alabama. Anthony Richardson went to Florida. But I get to see Anthony Richardson play in person this last fall. I went to the Tennessee-Florida game. And I I drank the Kool-Aid. I, I drank the Kool-Aid of Anthony Richardson isn't that good. And I was like, okay, like, whatever you say. But if you remember, our preseason show last year, I was like, I like Florida because they have Anthony Richardson. I picked Florida to beat Utah week one because of Anthony Richardson. I had seen it, and then I went in person, watched Anthony Richardson play, and I was blown away. I felt like, you know, those scenes in movies where the scouts are in the stands and they watch a guy and they're like, that's the guy. That's how I felt watching Anthony Richardson. It felt like he was making throws that I was like, no one can make that throw. How did he do that? I, at the end of the day, and I know Tennessee didn't have a good defense last year, but Anthony Richardson and Will Levis are being put kind of in the same level of, like, we don't know what they are. Will Levis threw three interceptions and did nothing against Tennessee. Anthony Richardson put up 500 yards of offense. Like, what? He put up 453 passing yards, two touchdowns, throw on 62 rushing yards and two more touchdowns. That guy... I'm telling you, I walked away from that game. I was like, Anthony Richardson is really good. It's a shame he's got that many words insert here, Billy Napier as his coach. Because I think Billy Napier held back Anthony Richardson big time. And he, Anthony Richardson, if he had been under like a consistent head coach at Florida, man, he Heisman, national championship, so many things. I think Anthony Richardson is the most exciting prospect in this draft, like by far, because he could be so many things. Yeah, he's a lot in the way that we saw Jabari Smith last year for the NFL or the NBA draft, where it's like if he gets in the right situation, right circumstance, he could be a real problem for teams in the future. Moving on to college basketball, is what I meant to say. Uh, back over to college basketball, like we talked about, the conference tournaments are coming this weekend. We thought we would get back into the picks this week with our picks for the winners of each of those conference tournaments, uh, the Power Five at least, as they get going. Uh, so we'll start, we'll go in uh, alphabetical order. We'll start with the ACC, kind of a wide, maybe the most wide open of the Power Five conferences. Yeah, I think it is, but I'm going to go with the usual suspect. I'm going with the Duke Blue Devils. I know it's year one of John Shire, but man, they're impressive. They really are. It's They do such a good job. Last Saturday, that game against North Carolina, it seemed like North Carolina had a chance to win that whole time. 
And at the end of the game, they shut the door. And I, I think it's at the end of the day, it's Duke and the ACC. It's Duke and North Carolina's conference. North Carolina, they're not quite there this year. And I don't think they can. If North Carolina can, I would love them to tear off our run and win the ACC. But I don't think I don't think it's quite there this year. I think it's I think it's Duke's tournament to lose. So I'm gonna go with the Blue Devils to win the ACC. Yeah, I, I think it's a very interesting conference in terms of, like I said, I think it's the most wide open of, of any of the Power Five conferences. Uh, Duke is probably the favorite. I'm going to go a little bit off the beaten path. I think it's maybe the, the 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 flashy number two pick probably right now. I'm going with Virginia in this one. I think uh, I think you brought up a good point. It's John Shire's first year, and I think a lot of people don't give enough credence to the fact that being a first-time head coach is hard. I, I've talked about it a lot with Juwan Howard, and Juwan Howard is in his fourth year as a head coach at Michigan. He's still learning things on the, on the fly. He's learning how to balance his lineups and how to deal with injuries, and those are things that you can't predict when March comes. And I think that's the biggest thing where it's like if in a, in a, video, in a March Madness video game, I'm taking Duke every time. But because it's March, because – there's so much unexpected that's going to happen. I like a Tony Bennett led team that's been there, done that. Uh, they're still very good. They've won 20, 26 games. I think they're 26 and five at this point. They're a good team or 23 and six. Uh, they're a really good team. I think uh, overlooked a bit, beat Duke once in the only time that they played this year. I think uh, if anyone's going to like get hot from the ACC right now, I think it's Virginia. So I'm going to take Virginia to win the ACC. Uh, we'll move on to the big 12. Uh, Big 12, we've talked about a lot this year. A lot of fun teams in the Big 12. going to be an interesting tournament as well. I'm going uh, with what you just said, which would go against my ACC pick. I'm going with experience. And the experience in the Big 12 belongs to Bill Self and the Kansas Jayhawks. I think the Big 12 is a really, really good conference. And there's no doubt, like, this isn't like a shooting Kansas is going to win. And they're going to be the favorites. But... I, I think they have all the experience with them with Bill Swift, Bill Self and uh, Jalen Wilson, and they, they've got a star freshman, Grady Dick. I think they've got a lot of things going for them. Kansas has been one of the best teams all year. And the other teams, like at TCU, that got better this year. Texas, who's gone through so much tor- turmoil this year, it's hard to see them winning the Big 12 tournament. I I think it's I think it's Kansas's tournament to lose. I, I think they've got just all the all the factors going for them and not a lot going against them. So I'm gonna go with the Jayhawks to win the Big Twelve tournament because it seems like they always do. Yeah, and it it kind of sucks that this year I've been preaching about how fun the Big Twelve is and how wide open and how many good teams it is. And it seems like it's just going to be Kansas winning the regular season and Kansas winning the tournament. But I think it is that way. They've gotten hot at the right time. And it feels like everyone else has kind of lost their step. Whereas in a month ago, I was talking about how fun TCU and Texas and even Baylor were and Kansas State were at the time. It feels like all of them have kind of lost that momentum that they've had. Well, Kansas is, like you said, the experienced team getting hot at the right time. They've got experience in Jalen Wilson, Bill Self, obviously, and then Grady Dick, what he's been able to do this year. So, yeah, I like Kansas in the Big 12 as well, uh, moving on and getting another conference championship there. Uh, we'll move on to the Big 10. Uh, Purdue, the obvious favorites, but uh, should be interesting as the Big 10 tournament always is. Dylan, who are you liking that one? I'm going to go with somebody from the state of Indiana, but it's not Purdue. It's Indiana. It's the Hoosiers. I think Trace Jackson Davis, 
submits himself as an Indiana legend as he leads the Hoosiers to a Big Ten championship. I think Indiana has been right there with Purdue all year as one of the top teams in the Big Ten, but it feels like on a national stage, all the talk's been about Purdue, and I think Indiana has a chance to show uh, this weekend, this week, that they belong in that conversation as the top team in the Hoosier state. So I'm going to go with the Hoosiers to win the Big Ten tournament. Yeah, I would love to pick against Purdue. Like I told, like I said earlier in the year, I think they're kind of a paper tiger of a top seed. Uh, but the Big Ten is weak this year. Uh, it just is. Uh, we had what six teams tie for second place through se- second through seventh, all at the same level, and all of those teams have flaws. And that's the biggest problem with the Big Ten this year. Is I can't see like a team like Indiana. They have their 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 when Trace Jackson Davis doesn't get his, uh, it, they really struggle. Uh, every team has some problem like that, and it's tough to see. Whenever I see any of those teams matching up for Purdue, I see that problem shining through. And that's what usually ends up happening. And that's why I'm taking Purdue. I don't honestly think they are what everyone thinks they are. I think Zach Eady just makes them a tough matchup for teams in the Big Ten. But that's going to be a problem in the Big Ten tournament again. Like, I just don't think there's enough teams that have enough going for them and enough to counter what Zach Eady brings to the floor that I think Purdue is just going to end up running away with it. Uh, it's a weak year for the big 10. So I'm not, uh, I just don't think any, no team that I'm looking at this bracket jumps out and says they can make a big run and make a big upset or pull off a big upset. If anyone, it would be Indiana, but I think it is Purdue, uh, Purdue season this year. Uh, moving on out West, the PAC 12 has been interesting, a little bit of a weaker year out West for the PAC 12. Uh, Dylan, who do you like in that conference? There are two top dogs in the Pac-12, and I'm going to go with the one that has so much March experience under their belts between the trio of uh, Mick Cronin, Tiger Campbell, and Jaime Jaquez. Man, UCLA, they have so much experience when it comes to these conference tournaments and then in the big dance, it's hard to it's hard to pick against that experience. And like Kansas, I picked it just with Jalen Wilson. And I know there's other guys on that team. UCLA, they have so much talent that's still there from that run they made in Instantly Tournament a few years ago. It's hard to ignore that. I know Arizona's a really good team, but I, I I'm having a hard time picking against UCLA. And I, I think it's because I I fell in love with this team a few years ago when they made that run. So I still remember the moment Tommy Hawkins has had and Tiger Campbell have had. So I, I'm going to go with UCLA to get a big uh, Pac-12 tournament win, remain the top dogs in the Pac-12. Yeah, obviously, yeah, Tommy Hawkins, Tiger Campbell, it's going to be different without Johnny Juzang. It's going to be because Juzang really did lead those runs, and he was a big part of what made UCLA so good in the past few years. Obviously, they're very good this year, but like I said, the Pac-12 is weak this year. There's just not much outside of UCLA and Arizona uh, to get real excited about uh, in USC or Oregon or Washington State. It, it's not that great of a conference this year. I, I I haven't seen a ton of them. I, I'm picking Arizona just because I've liked what I've seen out of them. I think they are. They they look a little bit more like a like a national title contender team. But like I said, I, I don't think anyone in the Pac-12 really blows me away this year. Uh, I could see UCLA making uh, making a similar run like they did the other uh, was it two years ago now. But I, I, I think 
I think Arizona has just a little bit more talent, a little bit more to get past them. So I'll take Arizona in that one. We'll move on to your neck of the woods in the SEC. Uh, Dylan, who do you like in the Southeastern Conference? I have no clue. I have no idea. I wrote down Kentucky, and I'm not picking them. I'm picking Tennessee because I have no idea. Tennessee will not win the SEC tournament. I, I like. I promise Tennessee will not win the SEC tournament. But I'm going to pick them because I really don't know who's going to win this tournament. I, Alabama should be the favorite, and they will be the favorite. They're the one seed. Uh, Kentucky, it always feels like, uh, at least the last few years, they've came into the SEC tournament kind of hobbling, and they're big-time hobbling right now with Casey Wallace being hurt. If Casey Wallace was healthy, I would pick Kentucky. And I think that's when I wrote down Kentucky on my paper, I was thinking Casey Wallace was healthy. He's not, and that hurts Kentucky big time because I don't know if they're going to revert back to Xavier Wheeler at point guard or what, but I, I like Xavier Wheeler. When he's the point guard at UK, things just aren't working and I, I don't think Oscar Sheebway can lead them by himself to an SEC title. Uh, so, yeah, I, the SEC tournament will be interesting. There's three top dogs, in my opinion, uh, with Tennessee, Alabama, and Kentucky. Tennessee's weird. Kentucky's weird. Alabama's been pretty consistent. So I should probably pick Alabama, but I refuse to do that just out of uh, self-pride. So I'm going to go with the balls to probably not win it, but they're my official pick. Yeah, I'm going to go with Alabama just because, like you said, this is a, this is a weird year. There's not really a, a team that, other than Alabama, that really sticks out, especially with the way that Kentucky has played this year, been up and down and the injuries that they have. Uh, and it's weird. We've talked about Alabama a bunch because of the Brandon Miller situation and how uh, up and down they've been this year. It seems like this has been the most consistent they've been. Like since the Brandon Miller stuff has broken out, weirdly they've gotten way more consistent than they were in the beginning of the year. I I'm going to take a weird bet and say that that just continues. Somehow they're using this as fuel to stay focused, which most teams would use as a, as a way to, you know, kind of, there would be a, a serious discussion about how to stay focused with a team like this. It's weird that they've been able to stay focused almost in response to it. It's interesting to see. So I'm going to take Alabama just because they've proven to me that they can get it done throughout Worst circumstances in the regular season. So uh, the SEC tournament, probably a little bit less pressure uh, than winning with the circumstances they had in the regular season. So give me Alabama. Uh, I think they end up winning the SEC. That's going to do it for our picks. That's going to do it for the Dylan and Dylan show this week. Dylan, you got any final thoughts before we take off? I do. I've been mentioning the XFL a lot this weekend on Sunday. I'm going to St. Louis to see the Battle Hawks play in person. I'm so excited. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And if the XFL does fail again, which I really hope it doesn't, I'll get to say I got to see an XFL game in person. Uh, I'm excited to see it. I think it's going to be a ton of fun. I'm super excited to see how the conference tournaments play out and all the fun things coming. But I reckon that's all I got. And uh, caca, go Battle Hawks. All right, that's going to do it from the Dylan and Dylan Show. Here's where you can find us. You can find the show at Dylan and Dylan Show on Twitter and Instagram. You can find Tunnel Vision Sports on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, LinkedIn, and on the web. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Have a great weekend. We will see you all next week. So long.